1 John 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Father, I uh, just reading this scripture, going through my mind and thinking of Alfred and his uh, and his family in Pakistan. Father, the freedom for us to stand and to sit, to gather together and to read your word and to, to just sing your praise and to spend time together in the name of Jesus is, Father, the reason his wife and daughter are dead and that his nephew is held hostage and why his life is threatened. Father, we take so much for granted. Father, I want to thank you, first of all, again, just for the privilege of uh, gathering in freedom to worship you. Father, forgive us for taking that freedom for granted and not valuing your word and not valuing the freedom that we have. Father, help us to make the most of it. Help us to be hungry for your word, even as we're here this morning, to be hungry to hear your words and to obey them and then to carry them to our jobs and our schools and our neighborhoods. Father, give us ears to hear this morning. And I also pray, Father, for your mercy on Alfred. I pray for your mercy on his nephew. Father, that in your mercy you might just miraculously, like Peter walked free, from prison in the book of Acts, that, Father, in a miraculous way, his nephew might walk free from where he's been held hostage by the Taliban. Father, I pray for your good news to go forth in Pakistan and other similar countries and for people to hear and 
the good news and to be set free in the name of Jesus. So, Father, thank you again for this time and your amazing mercy to us in Jesus. Amen. It, uh, it's always, I don't know about you, but very sobering for me to hear stories like Alfred's and, and to be reminded of, man, we are so spoiled, aren't we? Um, we live... Um, we live surrounded by uncertainty, and, but someone like Alfred and, and believers in countries like Pakistan, they have so much more uncertainty, not knowing if at that moment their door is going to be broken down and they're going to lose the freedom that they experience. We're going to talk about uncertainty and certainty this morning. I think for a lot of us, uncertainty wreaks havoc in our lives. Um, I learned early on that going shopping with my older daughter would wreak havoc in my life. First, we would spend hours, I'm thinking particularly one time when she was getting a dress to go to a prom, and, uh, and I was the chosen one to go shopping with her. And we spent hours shopping for the perfect dress. And it went something like this. And this is, you know, a long time ago, but, oh, it's too poofy, or it's not poofy enough, or it's too frilly, or, or not frilly enough or it's too long, or, or not long enough, or it's too short, or not short enough, or too, too shiny, or not shiny enough. Any, any dads relate to this? I, ben, I thought you would. <laughs> and, and then, you know, so hour after hour, you know, creeping by, and then the glorious moment when the purchase is enacted and that prized possession is brought home. And you think, oh, that's it. But alas, the ordeal was not to be over. You know, it could be minutes, literally, sometimes just minutes. Other times it could be hours, usually not days, when the uncertainty would creep in again. And it's like, oh, I really don't think that it's for me. I mean, after hours and then days of having this prize visit, we bring it back. Uncertainty. I'm not kidding you. That's, that's a true story. And the process would begin all over again. Uncertainty. Like I said, you know, I think right now, probably more of us than, than usual are experiencing uncertainty because of what's going on with the economy 
in our country, the economic situation. Uh, I mean, who knows? I mean, the uncertainty of, uh, and, and with the uncertainty, the, the anxiety and the and fear and the confusion that can come. I mean, some of you who are sitting here this morning don't know when you're going to get paid for the, for the hours you're working. I mean, others of you don't know if you're going to have a job in another week or month. And, and the uncertainty spreads um, to the whole community as all of us are impacted by what's going on with the economy in our country. Uncertainty can wreak havoc, can it? The anxiety, the fear, the confusion. Uh, for some of you, maybe, maybe it's like, uh, trying to figure out, do I, should I go to school or should I not go to school? Should I buy a car or not buy a car? I mean, for us right now, it's should we sell our, try and sell our van again for $500 or, you know, get a tow truck to crush it for $200, you know? It's hard to figure it out. Whether to move or not, whether to pursue a relationship or not. Uh, and the list goes on and on. In the spiritual realm, there can be a lot of uncertainty also. Maybe some of you this morning are, are here and you're trying to figure out whether God can be trusted or not. Whether to believe in the power of prayer or not. Whether when you pray, if your prayer will go beyond the ceiling or will really be heard by God. Whether to have confidence in in God's power to do something in your life, to heal or to deliver. Uh, whether God is good or not in the midst of a world that has so much evil. And as a result, confusion and fear and anxiety can often wreak havoc in our lives. Uncertainty. When we come to 1 John, and like I said, we're coming the very last sermon in this book, um, John was writing this a couple thousand years ago to believers that were going through a lot of uncertainty. And as a result, they were anxious, they were fearful, they were uncertain because false teachers had been feeding them a pack of lies. Lies like the body is evil, and only the spirit is good, and and as a result, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, and he wasn't really God. And, and the only way you could really know God was if you had some kind of secret in, some secret knowledge, some gnosis. And so these false teachers were called Gnostics from the Greek word gnosis. And as a result, these believers that John is writing to are confused and they're uncertain about whether or not they're really saved. Whether or not sin really matters, or if you can just do whatever you want to do. Whether or not there's really any victory over sin, or really any victory over the devil. And the list goes on and on. And the uncertainty, uh, it was just wreaking havoc in their lives. And so it's the reason that John wrote this letter to them. I, I want it's to, it's that they would have certainty about who Jesus 
really was and the difference it would make in their lives. I want to just actually, before I look at what we're going to look at, go back to the first four books, excuse me, first four verses in 1 John. And just listen to these verses. First four verses, John 1, 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And the life appeared, and we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship in this intimacy of relationship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy and your joy complete. And so John is saying, he says, as he begins, he says, in the midst of all your confusion and uncertainty, he says, I got something that is guaranteed certainty that you can know for sure. And it's that the eternal God, before time began, came in a human body and we touched him and we heard him and we saw him. And in fact, he says, we scrutinized him. It wasn't just a passing glance. And we know for sure that the eternal God, Jesus Christ, is life and is our life and is where intimacy of relationship with God is. And that's how John starts his book. And now he's wrapping his book up. You know, as, he, as he's, it's kind of like his last words to them, his final statement, as he wants to just, as he's remembering their confusion and he's finishing his letter, it's like one more time he wants to, he wants to remind them you can be certain about this. You don't have to be confused and uncertain and, 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 not, and tossed to and fro by all these false teachers. And so we come to his finale. You know, in verses 13 to 21, I don't, as I read it, I emphasized seven words. You might not have picked that up. You might have just thought I was stuttering. Um, but it's, John went out of his way to give us certainty as we come to the end of this book because seven times in these last verses, he uses the word no. Seven times. It's like over and over again, he's I, I want you to get this. I want you to know this. And the word no is a very intimate word. It's the same word that in the old King James, it says that Joseph, before Joseph knew Mary, before he had intercourse with Mary, Jesus was born because Jesus was virgin born. It's that intimate of a word. And that's the word that John is using here seven times. He's emphasizing, repeating, wanting them to get that there's something that they can be certain about without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, so they don't have to be confused in the face of these false teachers. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at those seven no's that we, without a shadow of a doubt, can know. Okay? 
And, and I tell you, if we get these seven no's, and we're just going to go over them quickly, but if we can get these, it can, in the midst of uncertainty, just give us a peace and a confidence and a foundation that will, will not be rocked by the economy, by, by relationships that come and go, by, by the weather, by anything else. These things we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt who believe in the name of the Son of God. And that's how it starts. Look, look with me back at verse 13. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know. Okay? That's, it's, and that's, that's who I'm speaking to primarily this morning. It's to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. You, you believe that He is who He said He is. And that He came to be your Savior and your Lord, and, and, and you belong to Him. These, this certainty is for you. And so if you're here this morning and you don't have that certainty that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, and you've acknowledged Him to be that, then, then this certainty, I'm saying, isn't yours. It's going to be bounced around by the economy and by your health and by your job or lack of job or your friends or lack of friends. And so even as, as I'm talking this morning, I would encourage you to consider Jesus. <laughs> encourage you to consider Jesus who can provide this certainty and the only one who can provide this certainty in your life. These things we can know, number one, Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's the first thing. You can know without a shadow of a doubt that real life is yours in Christ. That's number one. That real life is yours in Christ. It's not a wish. It's a certainty. Eternal life beginning right now, real life, right now. And how can we know that? Because remember, as, as John has written to these, these believers, this life isn't just some philosophical or theological notion or information. It's based in a real person. The word of life, as I read in 1 John 1, 1 to 4, the eternal life was a person, Jesus Christ. God, eternal God, who became flesh, dwelt among us. He was life. In Him is life. And in Him is life because He purchased in His own body on the cross by dying for our sins, by rising from the dead, by conquering sin and death and the devil and providing us life, the certainty of life. In Romans 6.23, it says, the wages of sin is death. And, and that's what our world lives under, death. Um, we're all heading that direction physically and eternally. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's number one. Something that you can know, that we can know for sure, that we have real life, eternal life in Christ. 
Do you know that beyond a shadow of a doubt? See, it's not based upon what you did this morning, you know, when you yelled at your dog or, or your kid, you know, before you came to church. That Your eternal life isn't based on that. Otherwise, we'd all be bad shape, right? Uh, it's based on what Jesus has done the person of Jesus and what he accomplished and the life he purchased for us when we all deserve death. Number one, real life is in Christ. Do you know that beyond a shadow of a doubt? Or are you still pursuing some kind of life which is just really emptiness? Well, number one leads to the second thing that we can know for sure. Let's keep reading. Verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we're going to leave that hanging. The second thing we can know for sure is that if we believe in the name of the Son of God, if we belong to Him, God hears us when we pray to Him. That's just a point-blank statement. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. He's not a distant, impersonal, uncaring, or deaf God. He's our eternal Heavenly Father. You know, and as I was looking at this second one, God hears us, and then the second one, God answers it just makes sense if we understand that God isn't some distant deity, but God's our Father. And if we believe in the name of the Son of God, we're His kids, and He's our Father. And, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of lousy fathers, and I, you know, I can, I was probably a lousy father once, you know. No, I've, I've been a lousy father at times, too. But God isn't a lousy father. And, and even, even as a father who is an imperfect father, I tell you, when my kids ask me for something and, in, and I'm in relationship with them, you know, there's a pretty good chance they're going to get it. Because notice what it says. It says, if we ask anything according to his will, meaning knowing what he wants and in relationship with him. I mean, if, if my kids are, you know, living and saying, you know, to hell with you, Dad, I'm going to do whatever I want, and, and then they come in the next day and say, oh, by the way, can I have 100 bucks? It's like, hmm. But that's not what this says. When we're in relationship with him and, and we know what he wants and we're in love with him, we know he's going to hear us. We know that. Do you have that confidence this morning that when you pray, God hears? That's the confidence that we can have. And not only that he hears, but number three, that we have what we asked of him. That being in relationship with him and in that intimacy of fellowship with him, that as we talk to him, he hears us and we have what we want. That's the way it is with me and my kids. And as an imperfect father, I, 
I can only believe what this says about a perfect heavenly father that if I know what he wants and I'm in a relationship with him and I talk to him, he hears me and I have what I want. Just think if we really believe that. That authority and that power that is ours as God's children. We have life. That's a, we can know that. God hears us. We can know that. God answers us. We can know that. Isn't that incredible? The authority that is ours as children of God. Well, to demonstrate this incredible authority that is ours, John kind of, uh, in verses 16 and 17, he kind of goes on a little... Uh, tangent, we could say, but it's, to, it's really to give an example of the authority that is ours as God's children. He says, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. This is, in a nutshell, what I think John is saying, and then I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations. The incredible authority that is ours in prayer. Our praying, think of this, that when we pray for a sinning brother or sister who has turned away from Jesus and is living a life of sin and, and destruction, and we pray for them. We can know that God will hear us and answer that prayer and turn them from death to life. That's the authority that is ours that I, I believe John is giving us an example that we have the authority to pray for a brother or sister and to plead for them. And God will hear, the, hear our prayer and bring them back. Our prayer will be heard by our Heavenly Father who will, through the Holy Spirit, convict them of their sin and their hardness of heart, will open their eyes again to see Jesus and fall in love with them and draw them back to Him. Our praying can accomplish that. And as I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how often do I take advantage of this, this powerful prayer that I have in praying for people, in praying for people's salvation. However, as John continues on, there, there is one possible exception. And this is, this, I, mean, I know you're, that's probably what you're focusing on here. There's this sin leading to death. What is that? I'll let Daniel talk about that next week. No, <laughs> Daniel was gloating to me that I got to preach about that this, you know, this week, so I just thought I'd slyly pass it on. No. In Matthew, in, excuse me, in Hebrews 10, 26, and 27, it says this. It says, if we deliberately keep on sinning, listen to this, this is a sobering verse. It says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, 
no sacrifice for sins is left. The truth is, if someone rejects Jesus' sacrifice for their sins, there's no other sacrifice. There's no other option. That's what it's saying. If someone hears about and deliberately rejects Jesus' offer of salvation for their sins, and they reject it, there's no other offer out there. There's no other way. Mark 3.29 says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. We could say eternal death. And, and again, I think in a little different way, this verse is saying if someone rejects the Holy Spirit's convicting them of their sin, there is no other convicting power that can open their eyes to Jesus and their need of Jesus as their Savior. So I believe a sin that leads to death is a sin of rejecting Jesus as Savior and rejecting the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And, there's, and that person's life is only leading to death, to eternal separation from God. The question is, what, what is John saying here? For whom then do we not pray? Is that what John is saying? Are there, are there people that we should then say, that's them, I'm not praying for them? I want Notice what John says here. I think it's important. He says, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. This is an important phrase. He says, I am not saying that you should pray about that. He's saying, I'm not saying that he, he's not giving them a command. He's kind of throwing it out there. And there's these individuals that have totally turned their backs on Jesus, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And the word in the old King James is ret reprobate. They've said, I don't want anything to do with him. How do we pray? Or do we pray for such individuals? I want you to notice, John doesn't tell us we shouldn't pray for them. He's saying, as we're burdened for them. Remember, John is giving us things that we can know for sure, right? What can we know for sure? Number one, that we have real life in Christ. Number two, that when we pray, God hears us. Number three, that when we pray, God answers. And what John is saying here is, if you see somebody that is living that life he says, I'm not saying that you can know for sure that praying for them, they will be brought back. They might have hardened their heart, and that's the way they are. But my question this morning is, do we know a person's heart? I, I don't. I, I don't know the heart of anybody here this morning except my own heart. Uh, and so I think... That as we look at this sin leading to death, sin not leading to death, that we might not have the same ability to be confident and know that as we pray, God hears and God will answer, that they have hardened their heart, and, but we still need to plead. <laughs> we still need to plead that God would soften a hardened heart and turn it to Jesus. Number four. Look at verse 18. 
we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. Number four, something that you this morning that belong to Jesus can know is that you have victory over sin. You have victory over sin. And sometimes in the middle of getting trapped in sin, I think we feel like, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. This is who I am. That's not what this says. It says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue on sin. They, they, they do not live a life of sin, do not practice sin. We sin, but it's not our life. And why? Because the one who was born of God, the only begotten Son of God, Jesus, keeps them and the evil one cannot harm them. It's because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, right? He broke the power of sin. He broke the power of the devil so that through his death and through his resurrection and now exalted the right hand of the Father with all authority, we have that same authority. We do not have to sin. We're not helpless victims of sin. Do you know this morning the victory over sin that is yours in Jesus? That, that, that's what John is communicating to his readers and to us this morning, that in Jesus, his death and resurrection, you have victory over sin. If you don't think so, I mean, John's response was, you're just living to, you're li listening to a lie. You're listening to a lie from the evil one. And he doesn't have authority over you except as a roaring lion trying to intimidate you and scare you. You have victory in Jesus. Number five, verse 19. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Number, number five, we can know for sure that we belong to God that we belong to God, we're his children. In, in 1 John 3, 1, John said, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Do you know this morning the privilege it is that you're a child of God, and that's what we are? Do you know that? And the privileges that go along with being his kid, that he hears you, that he answers your prayer, that that you're secure from the evil one who is the God of this world and, and the whole world is under his control, but not you. You belong to him. In Ephesians 6, 1, it says, our struggle isn't against, isn't against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. We live in this physical, spiritual world, but a world that doesn't need to intimidate us because we belong to him. Do you know that this morning, that you belong to him? Next one, verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. The Son of God has come and given us understanding. And, and to me, this is one of the most exciting ones because I think we miss it, is well, something that we should know, you can know, is that Jesus makes sense of everything. 
I like that. Jesus makes sense of everything. In John 1, 4, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus' life is what gives clarity and understanding and makes sense of everything. Um, you know, there's important questions that every worldview, every religious system, every philosophical system should have to answer and make sense of. How did everything start? Why am I here? What about good and evil? What is my purpose? How are things going to end up? I mean, all those, those are important questions. We can know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Jesus alone, I believe, is the one who can make sense of all those questions, those important questions. Uh, no other worldview, no other religious system. The sinfulness of sin and the means of salvation, the, how history is working its way out, good and evil, the purpose of mankind, Jesus is the one alone who can make sense of all that. And if Jesus is at the heart of your being and your living, then these things can make sense. And last of all, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. What can we know? That truth is in Jesus. We live in a, in a world that is full of subjectivity. <laughs> that's a lot of where the uncertainty comes from. It's like, well, you know, if that's true for you, that's great. You know, but that's not really true for me. It's, it's one of the most ridiculous, silly things that there is. I you know, having been a wannabe philosophy major. But uh, subjectivity, it's like there is truth. And the people who are claiming that everything's subject, sub subjective, you know, the reality is that's their truth. Everybody believes something. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. And I and the Father are one, and may they also be in us, I and them, and you and me. And, and that's the beautiful thing that John is putting together as he's wrapping this up, that truth is in Jesus. And Him who is true, and that we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ, that, that in Christ, and finding our identity in Christ, our identity is in the truth. Because truth is in Jesus. Do you know, are you confident of your identity in Jesus? Truth is in Christ. These are, these are the seven things. Let me just summarize it. Number one, real life is in Christ. Do you know that? You should if you're in Christ. That God hears when you pray. God answers when you pray. that you have victory over sin, that you belong to God, that Jesus makes sense of everything, and that truth is in Jesus. But he gives one final exhortation. Do you get that? 
verse 21, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. It almost seems like kind of a quirky way to end, doesn't it? I don't even remember him talking about idols. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And I think this is what he's saying. Dear children, as you've been tossed around and you're full of confusion and fear and anxiety by all this false teaching and all these lies and all this misunderstanding, he says, dear children, keep away from anything and everything that might take God's place in your heart. And you being confident of the truth of who you are in Jesus. And I think that's one of the hardest things for us to do is because we're bombarded, aren't we, by, by information all day long from radio and TV and newspapers and magazines and people that we're talking to, everybody that has their opinions and their ideas. And, and what can it result in but uncertainty? Like, yeah, what is true? And what does bring certainty? And what should I be confident in? And what should be a rock and a foundation in my life? So I'm not just anxious and confused and uncertain all the time. And, and honestly, I think that's how some of us go through life. Because we think it's maybe kind of open-minded or cool to be thinking, well, maybe I should just be constantly considering other things. I, I think it's good to be listening and understanding but taking in the lies and the opinions so we're constantly struggling with uncertainty and confusion and anxiety. I think that's why he, he ends with this last thing. I've given you these things that you can know. And if you know them, your life will be based on a rock and a foundation that will keep you from being tossed to and fro like everybody else in the world, no matter what happens. But you got to be careful because you're going to be constantly bombarded by things, these things that are grabbing at your mind and grabbing at your heart and trying to get your attention and your affection. And don't, don't listen to them because this is the truth. You don't need to look elsewhere. This is the foundation. You don't need another one. This will provide the certainty and the confidence that we need. Do you know these things? Do you know the amazing privilege and authority and power that is ours in Jesus? Paul said, I know whom I have believed in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Can you say that? I know whom I have believed. There's seven things right here that you can know. I encourage you, read through them again. You can know these things and they will be like a rock to build your life on. There will always be uncertainty in our world and, and about the future. Um, you know, if, if our politicians get their act together here in the near future, it, you know, it won't be long down the road before they don't again. I mean, that's not where our certainty can lie. It can't be in that. It can't be in our health because, you know, it can be just right around the corner where something happens to our health or our finances or our housing situation or our living situation. Or our certainty has got to be built on these seven things. And if it is, our lives will be like rocks.
Let's base our lives on these seven things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the confidence and the certainty that we can have as your children in Jesus. Father, help us to be individuals that just hungered to know you, to build our relationships on you, that nothing would rock us, nothing would shake us, no matter what somebody says, no matter what happens, because we're yours and we know that. In Jesus' name, amen.